think that I want to eat this fucking shit food <laughs> when really all I want to do is diddle myself. And we are doing this episode, and it definitely uh, is not the second time we're doing it because we're amazing and we never fuck up. Yeah, this is all our audio. The reason our voices are going to sound so enthusiastic is because we're doing it the first time. <laughs> Very first time. There were and no problems Lily's with the audio. mouth is chock full of oatmeal. <sighs> Gosh, wait, what's the word for oatmeal? Avsanka. Avsanka. We're also eating and drinking, as is our want since it's being new, here. The we're, new thing in the kitchen studio. Yeah, yeah we're in the kitchen, so we're going to be eating and drinking. And you're just no. got to have to get used to it. This is Nachorni Din by Yanka, or as translates into English, for a rainy day. From St. Petersburg and St. Petersburg. This is She's in Russia. I'm Lily. She's. Or this is They're in Russia. I'm Lily. And I'm Smith. Smith, bring us home. Yep. All right. To the beginning. Okay. Bring us home to the beginning. So, Lily. Lily. Oh, I'm, I'm dancing in my wicker chair. It's too loud. You have to sit quietly. Dance on the inside. I find this to be a form of abuse. <laughs> okay. Today's episode is about Yanka Diagolova, or Yana Diagolova, who was a punk musician from Siberia in the 1980s. Punk rock folk. Punk rock folk, yeah. Yeah. All, all that mix of things. And if you remember, we did an episode about Soviet heartthrob Victor Soy. And we wanted to do a similar episode. And we've picked Yanka because we love the women. Thanks a lot, Smith. Yeah, well, <clears throat> we picked her also because she's a less well-known than Soy. And yeah. probably most of you fuckers don't know her. Yeah. And you're going to get a little... And also, we're going to get into the uh, Siberian punk rock scene, which is different from the Leningrad-Moscow scene, which yeah. is what we talked about with but Soy. But similar times. Same time, Very same time, late 80s. Yeah. All right. So Lily's going Lily's gonna to give you a little rundown of who exactly this Yanka is. First things first. She's born in 1966 in okay. Novosibirsk. Which Novosibirsk. is in Siberia, folks. City. What you need to know about her is that... It's nothing. All right. Nothing. <laughs> okay. Basically, what do you need to know about her? She is... An only child, her house is wooden and nice. <laughs> I like the wooden house. And 
she grew up, there are a lot of like recollections of her saying that she was kind of shy in some ways. It's the kind of thing where like when she went to school, she liked to sing or she liked to play music and she was sent to piano school. And then like at some point her piano teacher went to her parents privately and was like, this isn't going to work out. She's just not very talented or something like that. That's like also an insane thing to say to somebody who's just like trying to learn piano. Like as a child, this isn't going to work out. Well, no, I think she was saying like, like maybe she should stop like torturing her, like that kind of thing. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So as a, as a teen, like she is starting to be musical in her own way, but maybe like she doesn't like to play piano or something, but she does like to play piano on her own. I think she just doesn't like, um, lessons yeah. yeah and I think a lot of musicians have that that's like a typical story I feel like where the music teachers are like no it's not no you talent here do the like Suzuki book yeah. or whatever I loved Suzuki <laughs> taka, taka, taka. <laughs> okay and her first she starts writing poetry also as a teenager and her first well-known poems date from 1985 which makes her 19 mm-hmm. at the time yeah so, we're in the 80s, we're in Siberia. I kind of don't want to um, surprise the audience at the end, which is that she lived a very short life. She died when oh, she yeah. was 24. And we're not going to do, like, the... We wanted to do... We wanted to talk about her death first because we didn't want to be like, and the end of the story is that she dies. Right. Because it's not really the end of the story, and we're talking about the scene also. So we'll try to get to the death sooner on. Yeah, and, and the thing that I wanted to say about that was just that in the space between 1984 or 5, let's say, and 1991, all of her music and like adult life took place. Right. So it's really, yeah. really concentrated. And it actually was even smaller set of years because when she was really actively being a musician, I think that's like 87, even 88, 88, 88 so like to 91. So really like three a few years. years. Yeah. yeah. So, and, but at the same time, she's, she was very, very prolific, as were a lot of her um, contemporaries. Yeah. And so they just, like, produced a lot. They wrote a lot and managed to do that all in, like, a tiny space of time mm-hmm. as, as the Soviet Union crumbled around them. <laughs> um, we'll, so, we'll talk about that later, their kind yeah, of style of existing. Back to, yeah, we'll get into the scene more, but back to her bio a little bit. So, so around 1985, when her first poems, or the like most well-known poems, are written or dated, she meets this figure in the Novosibirsk scene whose name is Irina Litaeva and she's known as like the rock mama of Novosibirsk. She was sort of like a, I don't know if she was a musician on the side, but she was an organizer. She was a manager for a bunch of bands um, and she was very much like deeply in the scene as a leading figure. So one of the things that Irina did was hold concerts in her apartment or organize concerts in other apartments, which are called Kortirniki, which you might remember from the Soy episode, Uh, sort of informal gatherings, but with like at that at the time, um, extremely famous musicians could play alongside totally unknown musicians. And it'd just be like people in an apartment, like smoking and drinking and playing on guitar. And um, it's yeah, it's an important phenomenon of like the the Soviet and, and, music era. Right, which is... Uh, and they're under... They're not... They're obviously underground because right. they're in private apartments. Right. And this is for... Except, like, we're the... I mean, the bards were also doing that, right? And they were yeah, yeah, doing Soviet. it... Yeah, Right, but, but the bards weren't really underground. I don't right? know. I don't know. We'll do an episode on the bards later. 
and like allegedly her apartment was this sort of space like she didn't have a lock on her door and people would come in and stay for like months at a time and they you know people in and out all the time and like famous people stayed there including people from the Petersburg and Moscow rock scene like Mike like who's friends with soy like Mike like Mike Girebinchukov <laughs> and Alexander Bashlachov and in December of 1985, Bashlakov came to uh, to play at one of the apartment concerts, and Yanka was there. She was just getting into the scene, and um, apparently, like he, Bashlachov was a famous musician in '85. In '85, so she was 19. Yeah. Okay. Famous musician, totally like. Uh, I don't know if he's necessarily uber famous at that point, but he's well known from like n- north of Moscow, right? Well, he's originally from there, but he I think he lived in Leningrad, but he's originally from a town between Petersburg and Moscow. Okay. And he comes to the site, to Novosibirsk to play at this <clears throat> um, apartment, and he doesn't, like, feel, or he doesn't look like he feels that comfortable in the scene. He's obviously, like, from outside of it and maybe doesn't, I don't know, know boy. people there. Yeah, and... It's also city a city boy. in the big side. Well, yeah. And in the wasteland. <laughs> and Yanka allegedly came up to him <clears throat> and was like, Do you, would you like me to draw you a fox? And he said, yes, please. And she drew him a little fox. And apparently that drawing is like st- still exists in, with friends somewhere. But he and she sort of started a, a friendship, really close friendship from that point on. Bash Lecho. We listen? Yes. Bashi. Also known as Sashbash. And the name of this song is what, Lily? Hazyaika, which means like landlady. Okay. All right. So then she meets another important man. It's just a series of men, one after another. A couple of like other important events that happen is that. She, uh, Yanka has, after school, decided to go to Engineering Institute for, like, water transport randomly. And she, she drops that in the first half of 1986. So, done with that. And then also in, I guess, late 86, in October, her mother, who has been suffering, has been fighting breast cancer for six years, I think, before that, passes away in October 1986. So when she's 20. Mm-hmm. And there's like kind of some turmoil going on. She like almost gets married to a local musician musician at that time, um, around that age. And then... Uh, wait, yeah, wait, you told me before, like, why does she... She's about to get married to him, and then why does she decide not to? She's like, yeah, she's getting ready to get married to him, and she goes to meet his family, and they like as one would think, sit, she sits with her, his parents, they go through like a family photo album, and then later, she, after that experience, she says that she needs to cut it off because, she's like, I need to break it off because like that is 
that kind of like domesticity or something is the gallows yeah. to me. The gallows, soul death, yeah, the free lady. And then a few months later, in February 87, early 87, Sashwash comes back to Novosibirsk and they spend a more elongated period of time together because Sashwash stays to hang out with her. Like, it's unclear if there was a romance there. He has, he's married, his wife is back in Leningrad. Okay. This is but, the guy that she drew a fox for. Yeah. But, but, like, their friendship is important to her. And, it, like, this is a time where he comes and spends time with her. And, you know, they're all hanging out and meeting all these other musicians and having a grand old time of it. She goes to take a little break from Siberia and goes to Moscow soon after her mother's death for a couple of month, months. And people say that she sort of like returned afresh and anew. A new man. And she starts performing but around these years, but she only actually performs a few, a handful of times in in her hometown. And she must just be performing just her with an acoustic guitar. I think so, okay. but I'm not sure. So again, same same time period. We're still in 1987. Uh, no, actually, I think the performances probably include like, you know, later years. Total, she only performed a handful of times. But um, in terms of like what she's doing at that time, she is living still with her parents now. Her father. I'm not sure what year he gets remarried, but he gets remarried, and his wife has a son, and they also are friends. Named Sergey. Sergey. Sergei. And Yanka doesn't um, What's like... What's the nickname for Sergei? Um, Serioja or Seri, I've heard very love. Okay. She doesn't like money <laughs> very much. So <clears throat> she doesn't... She doesn't work regularly, but she picks up like odd jobs like doing laundry or cleaning apartments or something. As we talked about on the Soy episode... In the Soviet era, you had to have a job. So if you don't have a job that's like officially recognized as a job, you can be strumming your acoustic guitar in somebody's apartment. Yeah, like you you can't just be a starving artist. (laughs) Still true, folks. (laughs) Still not a job. Yeah, get Um, a real job. It's one of those things that uh, it's an important sort of phenomenon to remember in Soviet history, which is that you could be arrested for parasitism. If you if you weren't holding uh, an officially recognized job, and that's what at least um, that's what people like Joseph Brodsky were persecuted for, um, other very famous people that I'm blanking on in the soy realm. I mean, soy always worked in uh, different in things, including room. in a boiler room, as yeah. most yeah, Kamchatka is the most well known. We talked about that, but like yeah, that that's an important factor. It is it's, it is a super important factor, too, because it's just like that means they're working full time and then they're just also working full time as musicians. They're, right. These are very passionate people. Right? right. And they're working as musicians. Why don't they get real jobs? I think that's from something like in that tone, like a daytime talk show that's like today we're addressing musicians. Why don't they get real jobs? <laughs> First up, this is Dave. He's a drummer. He doesn't have a job. <laughs> Well, there's also the, there's this important like underground rock festival. Also, we're talking about underground people and, and Siberian rock scene is very much underground. And by that, I just mean not officially recognized again by like the music committee of right. the Soviet Union even, even less so than the Leningrad rock scene. Because like the Leningrad rock scene had the Leningrad Rock Club, which was like a right. recognized club and also venue. So they have like yeah. a designated place to play. The people in the Siberian scene are just like 
Yeah, they're playing in apartments, they're playing in dorms. They're playing in venues also, but yeah. they're not, they don't have like an officially registered mm-hmm. organization or yeah. they themselves are not I mean, registered. Soy, Soy himself is like, you know, towards the end of his career is playing concerts with like tens of thousands of people at them. Yeah, so well, Soy's a superstar. He's a superstar, but you can't be underground and be doing that, really. He is a superstar, a sinewy, beautiful superstar. There's an underground rock festival in Moscow called Sirok. Sirok. Not to be confused with sirok, which is a cheesecake um, of a wonderful variety. <laughs> the best thing in the world. It's the best cheesecake, actually, item ever. That was run by this woman by the name of Natalia Kamarova, I think. Yeah. Natasha. But I just saw in an interview that she um, was saying she never paid any of the bands who played there because bands came from all over the country, like rock and punk and whatever, these underground bands. But... She didn't pay them for, like, philosophical reasons. She was basically like, we all, we all, so many people, we all work jobs for money, including me. We're all janitors. We're all whatever, boiler room people. We're all seamstresses. We do these, like, menial jobs. And music is something that we do not for money and almost as, like, an ethos because we play music because we can't not play it. Right. Something like that. And that was her position, at least. And But actually, she paid this band that I'm about to introduce whose name is Grajdanskaya Barona who Jana was intricately Janka was intricately tied up with she paid them because for some reason they demanded to be paid which is so weird because the, dicks because let of like that uh, the head of the band is like this really intense radical guy but I guess he yeah Okay, introduce. But yeah, they, I mean, they, they didn't pay them money, but they paid for their transportation. They okay. paid other, no, 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 they paid, oh, they paid Grobe money. Okay. But they paid other bands for transportation and like lodging, but Grobe was the band that they paid actual money. Yeah, I guess Grobe is, uh, go ahead and introduce properly. Okay, so the band, Grajdanskaya Barona, which translates to like civil defense and actually was an existing military organization, government organization in the Soviet Union. <clears throat> and it's nicknamed... But, but it's, there's no affiliation no, here. No. It's just the name. It's a punk-ass punk band. Yeah. And their nickname for Grajdanskaya Abarona is Grob. Grob, very catchy, which also means coffin, by the way. And this... The lead singer of this band, who um, is a very famous musical figure in, in Soviet and Russian history, is named Yegor Letov. Actually, his real name is Igor Letov, but he goes by Igor. Which are two different names, folks, if yeah. you don't know that. Because I did not know Americans that. usually don't. Yeah. They're like, Igor. Igor. Igor and Igor. Um, yeah. And he's like the father of punk, in, of, of Siberian oh, punk, but that. maybe arguably in punk in Russia in general. And oh. Californian punk. <laughs> um, and they met, he and Yanka met for the first time in 1987. Again, right. it's been like one second. At a Novosibirsk rock festival. Okay. So yeah, let, let's get into the Siberian punk scene a little bit because there's more than just Grobe and Yanka. During this time, starting around 86, the Siberian punk scene is really growing kind of under the, um, in a lot of ways, under the direction of this guy, Yegor Letov. Auspices of Yegor Letov. Um, and the, there's like kind of a triumvirate of cities that are participating in this scene. There's Novosibirsk, as we've mentioned, Omsk, which is where Letov is from, right? He lives in Omsk for, yeah. Um, and then Tumen. Tumen. Which is another uh, Siberian city. And, and so we just want to p- play a few different bands for you from this time so you can kind of get a sense of 
the style that was happening. First, we're going to listen to probably uh, Grob's most famous song, which is Everything is Going to Plan. Yeah, so just in terms of how to characterize the Siberian rock punk scene, I wanted to read a quote from a former member of Grobe. His name is Oleg Manager Sudakov, or Sudakov, I'm not sure. I don't think he's actually the manager, but his, his nickname is Manager, that's all I know. And he's also the leader of another band called Rodina. And um, he... <laughs> what does Rodina mean again? Just think about it. Motherland. Oh, right, right, right. God damn it. I wanted to be Mamina. <laughs> Mamina. Mamina. Mimino. Mimino Renchuakar. Mimino Yeah, Lily and I went to Georgia a couple of years ago and we rented a car from a place that was called Mimino Rentcar. <laughs> Mimino is like a famous Georgian. It's, I think it's a bird. Yeah, we looked it up. It's a bird. And if there's a or there's a movie called Mimi No, a Soviet oh, movie okay. that's very famous. Maybe we just assume, are you sure it's about a bird? Because I know there's a bird on their logo, but maybe we no, just no, no. Assume. I think we looked it. Okay, but it's spelled Mimi M I M I, and then no, as one word. Mimi and No are separate. I think. No, it's really? one word. Mimi No. Mimi No is one word, and then you have rent car because it was a car company. It's so like Mimi No rent car. <laughs> Mimi No rent you a car. No super. That's my new favorite joke. 20 years later, I got a joke from pop culture. He said the way that the Siberian punk scene differentiates from or is different from the Russian rock scene or the rest of the Russian rock scene is in some kind of what he calls social metaphysical subtext. And then he says, like, in the music, you can feel this Russian folk intonation and at the same time the stamp of the industrial megapolis how do you say that metropolis city urban setting I guess it's metropolis yeah it's megapolis (laughs) megapolis megapolis the urban of the at the same so you have this you have this Russian folk intonation with at the same time the stamp of the industrial 
metropolis. And what you get from that, from this fun mix, is what he calls a kind of urban folk. Mm. I like this quote because it helps me better understand why the music I'm listening to from Yanka and even from Grove doesn't sound like what I think punk is. Mm-hmm. And especially with Yanka because she plays a lot of, she does do at different points in her life, a lot of acoustic, just like her and her guitar. And she participates um, explicitly in that bard tradition, which is like folk, folky. I mean, I, I said this last time we recorded this episode, but I do <laughs> like listening the way Vysotsky sings. There. Well, okay, neither of us know anything about punk. There's probably very specific things that make things punk. Like the like a punk protest? Or like, <laughs> like Madonna? <laughs> like a certain kind of bass line or chord progression that is like, Maybe. there's like three chord progressions of punk or something like that. But we don't know those and we didn't bother to find out. So just based on my intuition, Vysotsky to me does have like elements of proto-punk or something. And this, the intensity of his voice, the deepness of his voice and the quality of it. You heard like, it here first, folks. You could imagine Vysotsky, Vysotsky like yelling proto-punk. into a microphone, you know? He now we're going to see that. like a New York Times article written like, Vysotsky, they get all their the, ideas from the, us. The, <laughs> every single one. It's true. <laughs> we do tend to be very timely with things. All right. We are just better than everyone else, but no one knows about us. <laughs> yeah. We are underground. So tell your fucking friends. We are, yeah, we need to. We are the underground. All right, we're so, Sammy's dad. So let's listen to another band from this time called Survival Instruction. And this song is called Lily, a resident Russia expert. Krasny Smirch, or Red Laughter. about how things were recorded at this time because as you might imagine as was the case with the Leningrad rock scene but even more so in Siberia everything was very DIY first of all a lot of their recordings were happening in Grobe Studios which was uh, Letov's studio in Omsk um, which was actually just his house that had a recording studio in it which is which is a totally valid place to record but like at times bands were sharing you know like two guitars between all of them or like multiple bands were sharing like the same two guitars that they had cut themselves on a lathe 
plate or in order to get like a feedback effect one band would get a giant metal bucket put a microphone inside it and then scream into the giant metal bucket or to get that kind of like overdrive effect I think it's called where you get like a really sound where you're like overpowering the, the recording equipment um because they didn't have like an, I think it's called an overdrive pedal. They would take a like little handheld recorder and then they would just overpower it. So it's pretty easy to like max those things out. So, so you get that whole like scene where the quality of the music, and I don't mean like if it's good or bad or not, but like the actual sound of it is this. Well, but I don't mean I don't mean like oh the quality is bad. I mean like the actual quality. <laughs> what its quality was is is really heavily determined by the way that they're recording things because yeah they're playing in in these apartment concerts so people are definitely hearing them in person but the other way that the music is being distributed is the recording group studios um igor letov especially for his band and, and well his name is also igor but igor yeah he, he, you know, he would record a master or like, um, and then make a few copies from that, and then send those copies out to people around the country who he knew, and then they would make copies and send those to people, and those people would make copies and send to people. So it's possible, you know, if you were just like a kid in the late '80s and you were a fan of Siberian punk, the thing you're getting is like pretty low quality by the time it gets to you. It's like really crackly because Copy. it's been copied and copied and copied on like a tape deck, you know. So that, that's just... A, but you love it. But you love it. So th- that's just like a cool thing to think about. Though, I mean, of course, that's always the case that the quality, the way things are recorded um, affects the aesthetic of, of the music itself. But in this case, it's like very true. And I think that's also uh, this like DIY thing is also mixed with the fact that like Lily mentioned, although they had exceptions to it, they weren't... Um, motivated by money in the same way that maybe even those in the Leningrad rock scene could have been at one point, you know? So they're not trying to, like, promote themselves or, like, distribute their music in a way that might be of higher quality or get it into any sort of, like, you know, they're not really trying to play... Uh, big concerts. They're not trying to talk to press at all. Yanka was notoriously very cagey about talking to press, and there's like no interviews with her. And even people are a little bit cagey about talking about Yanka. Well, um, well, I don't. Although I don't know how much her her like position was shared by everyone else in the scene, but she was particularly like yeah, press shy, and, and she said things yeah. like like anyone who needs to know about me will like be able to figure it out themselves or stuff like that. Right. Um, but. I think, like... I mean, she there's, didn't even want to go on tour, really. She, like, just didn't like being but, out in public. But wait, anymore. but there's a difference, and I'm going to get into the touring a little bit, but there's a difference between, I think, not wanting to distribute for money... Um, yeah, not wanting to wanting distribute to for famous. capitalist interests. Yeah, and wanting to distribute to as many people as possible. Like, it's, you know, there is the motivation of, like, getting your message out, especially because Leta, if we're talking about Grobe, is, as I mentioned, a very radical ideologue i don't know he he has he his ideology his belief system is extremely first of all it exists he articulates it articulates it when i say radical and well i mean i don't know what he did in his real life but like he articulates it in interviews also in the words of his music but in interviews explicitly and it's not just like i don't mean you give an example yeah i will i don't mean radical like um he's just a radical guy i mean like he (laughs) is an extreme uh, his ex- beliefs are extreme. So the example is, this is later in his life, and I imagine that his ideas morphed and changed, but he was like, um, 
a revolutionary in the sense that he was against the existing system of values, which at the time of his starting was the Soviet Union, Soviet powers that be. But then there's an interview with him in 94, and he sort of says, like, you know, we're still fighting against the system of values. Doesn't It's okay. Like, it's not okay, but it doesn't matter that it's, like, now a democratic one, quote-unquote, or capitalistic. And at one point, the interviewer says, um, you know, you have these, like, sort of calls to arm call to arms and calls to action in your uh in your music like what do you want people to do with that like what's your sort of actual end goal essentially being like is this just words because a lot of it is like violent and he was like I want people to pick up guns and start killing each other did he actually commit acts of violence and stuff like that? I'm not sure, but he talked that way. He said yeah. things like that on camera. And then he said, like, she was like, but who's killing who in that case? Like, who's shooting whom? And he said, like, you know, in this case, it would be um, against the existing system of values. So, like, the communists against the nationalists. Because yeah. I remember when he said that, I was like, which one are you? But I think he's, in that case, being a commie. Yeah. Or maybe he's being a nationalist. I fucking no, don't no, know. No, no, but he he was a member of the Bolshevik Party at that okay, time. Okay, so I think. so it's like he's he's for and he he also last little thing about his ideology like he's a revolutionary in the sense that he thinks and has said explicitly that change and progress come from war, revolution, violence, etc. And so so going back to the like uh, real quick going back to kind of how this. This not being driven or incentivized by money, um, and also not really being driven and incentivized by fame, maybe in the same way, at least for Yanka personally, um, kind of allows the scene to run around and do whatever they want. And I think one of the ways that that manifests is that she, yes, she was very prolific from like 88 to 91. Those were her active years. Very prolific. But like albums will have the same song some albums will have the same song on the same album same the songs will repeat from album to album maybe with different arrangements so you kind of get this effect where like it's not even though she wasn't alive for that long maybe she had like five or six albums some published within like the same year or same summer it's like hard to distinguish them because you're like wait this song is on this album it's also on this album but the arrangement is different the Mm -hmm. quality is different sometimes it would be on four albums um and so i want to play uh two examples of that so you can kind of get a sense of not only that kind of freedom to just basically do whatever the fuck you want but also how she was able to kind of change this her sound very easily because she could like as Lily said she could slip from this more like folk punk acoustic style into more like electronic punk that you might be familiar from the 1980s and and something to mention here and maybe Lily will talk about this more later but Yanka never had her own band and so on these recordings where she has a full band with her it's actually the musicians from Grope okay so this is a song called We Are Knee Deep from her first album from 1988 um, which is called Nipolozhna. The name of the song in Russian, if you want to look it up, is Mui Pakalena. Мы построю 
Okay, and then so here's the same song with a different arrangement on a later album from the summer and fall of 1989 called um, Ankedonia. That's the Russian term for it. In English, we say Ankedonia, which is a symptom of uh, depression where you don't have the ability to like take joy in things, joy in life. <laughs> All right, and then the other example we have is from an album called Des Moines, and Des Moines and Anhedonia were recorded and, and released at the same time, the, the summer of 89, fall of 89. And this album, or this, sorry, this song is called Prodana, and, which means sold, and this is from the album Des Moines. <laughs> And then in the winter of 89, so a few months later, she releases another album called Prodana also. Um, and this is the title track in this case from this album with a different arrangement. Коммерчески успешно принародно подыхать, а камни разбивать фотогеничное лицо, простить по-человечески заглядывать в глаза добрым прохожим. the last thing I want to say about the Siberian scene. We've played um, something from Survival Instruction, we've played something from Grove, you've heard a little bit of Bianca's music. And, and the last I want to play is from this band called Bomsh, which means homeless person. Yeah, it's like slangy for a homeless person. Um, and this is a song called Nina Hagen.
All right. So, Lily, bring us back to Yonka. Okay, back to Yonka. So, we, what I didn't mention when I introduced Igor Letov is that he and Yonka meet in 1987 and they start dating. They're romantically together. At least that's what the people say. Um, and I believe the people. Yeah. I'm a populist. What can I say? <laughs> and, <laughs> okay, so what starts happening is at some point, uh, Letov gets put in a psychiatric hospital. I don't know if he has like some kind of outbreak or what happens, but it, it was an FSB response to a performance they did. Okay. So he's in the hospital and he like, the story goes that he escapes from it um, sort of right before like officers are on their way to arrest him and he kind of knows that and he would, he would be arrested for uh, the parasitism thing because he doesn't have an official job. And you can't hold down a job when your hair's that greasy. <laughs> and Yanka is like comes to him in the hospital or something. He like goes, maybe he gets like a little tip or something from one of the nurses, and then he comes out and he's like, "We have to go." And they just like go out of the hospital, and they start they go on the road for a summer and a fall. They're on tour as Grobe and Yanka is also there, and she also plays with the band, but she's not necessarily like a full member. Though she at some point she's training or practicing to be a bassist in the band but that never works out um but she does perform with them and they're going all around russia and they're like they're sort of living a vagabond vagabond life like they're in a bus and they're staying with people wherever on whatever vagabond. places they can um you know sort of moving around between moscow st petersburg crimea siberia etc the original on the run tour yeah, and, and it's in the year between 87 and 88 that Yanka writes her most well-known work. But Letov is, as I explained, a very strong personality, and he has a lot of influence on her work. The first album, Nipolozhna, he, I think, is playing guitar on it, but mm-hmm. um, people say it's one of the sort of more lighter influences, but like you can still feel his sound on it or something like that. And people sometimes refer to it as, like, um, with their names, both. Yanka and Yegor's album, right. though it's hers. It seems like he just participates heavily in any musical project he ever gets into. It. So it's not just about being her romantic partner, but I think that probably makes everything a lot worse and they get in fights and stuff. But one of his band members had said, like, anything that Letov participates in, any musical project he participates in, becomes Grobe, essentially, his band. So... That's just important to keep in mind, I guess, for to, when you're listening to her work. Should, let's start talking about her death, or like the, yeah, the trail to, to her death. Well, I wanted to get into it via this concert in St. Petersburg that she goes to. So this is kind of like the way the story is told is the beginning of the end is in that winter, 87, 88. The beginning of the end is also the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> the beginning of the end, the end is the same time as the beginning because it all happened in like one blink of an eye. But remember, she had this close friendship with Sash Bosch, and I, they think they were corresponding, you know, when he wasn't there, when they were in different cities. She and Letov are in Leningrad, and they know there's going to be a concert with Sash Bosch playing. Letov has never seen him in person, and it's going to be in an apartment and everything, and they go. Oh, and beforehand, Yanka calls uh, Sash Bosch and is like, I'm going to come see you. I'm so excited. And he, like, isn't excited to see her or to hear from her and just sort of is like, doesn't express any enthusiasm and that really puts her gets her down obviously yeah. like it's really sad for her but she goes she and Letov go to this concert and it really sucks the concert is like really low energy Sashvash is um clearly depressed clearly depressed 
not playing well, not playing a lot, and it kind of just like is a is a flop. So, and the story goes that the story goes that was a weird accent that <laughs> Yanko felt like personally sort of offended by his behavior and and took it really personally, but that she also in the few hours following that particular concert, wrote some of her most um, well-known works. Um, she wrote eight songs, according to the, how the story goes, in a few hours, including Nipolojina, Diklasirevanim um, Elementum, and Zasipayam sa Chistimi Litsami. Let's listen to that. Declass- two declassified elements. Yeah? Mm-hmm. This particular arrangement is off the album Dumoy, which was recorded in the summer and fall of 1989. <laughs> What I mean by the beginning of the end is just that after the Bashlachov incident, she, uh, soon after he passes away, he dies of what is, what could be suicide. Basically, he falls out of the window of an apartment. And he's been, so he's been like depressed for a while. Are there other or whatever people there? Word you want to call Do you know? I think so. I think it was like a party or something. I feel like. I actually don't, I don't know. Okay. I might be mixing that up with a real life incident. Basically, he, uh, like, the story, again, the, what people say is that he had writer's block really intensely and was really repressed about that and, like, could, wasn't making music. Um, and he dies in in February of 1988. And I mean, and we're, we're, like, maybe this is an artificial narrative we're constructing where we're, like, these are all the sad things that happened in her life and this is what, it, like, caused her, that ultimately led to her death. But Yeah, because... These the, are moments of tragedy. Well, because she's had these, like, series of unfortunate <laughs> she said this series of tragedies happen and, and she goes back uh, to her hometown of Novosibirsk and people point to different times but she starts to sort of become a recluse in Novosibirsk in her in her parents house in her childhood home her dad says it was around 1990 um, some people think that it was later but yeah, let's. Why don't we listen to a song from around that time? So okay. from her, her from her final album that was released in ninety one, um, "Steed E Song Srom." Is that right? Yeah. Um, which means what? Which means shame, and then like also shame. another synonym for shame. I okay, disgrace. Disgrace. Okay. We're gonna play a track from that, and the title of the track is "Vishnogi at Zimli." Legs higher, legs higher than the ground. Ожидала поле ягоды, а 
ожидала море погоды. Yeah, and at this point, like, it's also people say that she was spending just a lot of time in her room, not going out, not seeing people, um, sort of a lot of classic symptoms of really intense depression. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and she, like, her dad says when he would, you know, try to talk to her or something, she would say, like, I have nothing to say. Um, so it's sort of this dark period starts. He says it's in 1990. He, She and Letov have now broken up it seems or not together I mean they're definitely not physically together and he comes to visit in the winter um, I think 91 and so her friends say that that visit was like also a really important turning point though her dad says the the reclusion started before that Um, and he comes and they're just like they're getting in a lot of fights and as I said before like he has a really strong influence on her you know work and, and personal obviously on her personal life because it is her work. I don't know if they were fighting about her work at that time because if she was really depressed, maybe she wasn't doing anything. Maybe he, they were just fighting about other bullshit. But yeah, I think it was just like a really bad time for her emotionally. So around April, May, she, late April, she completely stops talking and like does a vow of silence basically. Yeah, what are, did she declare as a vow of silence or she's just not talking? I don't know. I don't know. She declares it, but yeah, I think it's Maybe she declares it because it's pretty clear she's not talking. And during this period, her stepbrother, who she's very close to, she's very close to, Sergei, dies of this like freak accident where he's he's just getting an exam, like a medical exam, before going to get a job as he wants, he's going to be a cook somewhere. And he's getting a medical exam, and the, some doctor fucks up how the story goes. And I don't know if it's he gets an infection or what, but he's just getting like normal blood work and stuff. But he dies, like, really suddenly and yeah. tragically. Um, and they fail to tell the t- family for, like, they a don't, long yeah, time. For some reason. I don't know why. They don't tell the family for, like, a few days or something. No, more, I think more than that, like, a week or week plus. Well, whatever. It's, it's a long, too long. a long time, and it's obviously a fucked up thing to learn. And so she, you know, she's in the middle of her own really fucked up time. This is, like, another horrible thing that happens, and she's, like, participating in the funeral arrangements, doing all this stuff. And then uh, this is around early May, around the May holidays in Russia. Her family decides to go to their dacha outside the city and just sort of get Yanka out there and distract her a little bit and maybe like cheer her up or something to go to the dacha. I mean, they're probably all struggling. I mean, yeah. So they're just like, they go to their dacha. She's a smoker. She smokes cigarettes and she smokes outside of the house. So she, sort of her habit is to go out. Her dad doesn't like her to smoke in the house. So she politely will step outside. And so it's normal for her to like, 
go away for a little bit and be smoking outside. But she does that this one night, the night of May 9th, 1991. And she disappears or she doesn't come back for a long time. And then the family goes out and like finds her somewhere. Yeah. Maybe wandering or something. Mm -hmm. So that was a little bit weird. And this is like she was out for too long. And then the same night, apparently, she again goes out and they're like, okay, she went out again to smoke. But this time she doesn't come back for a really long time. And when they go out to look for her, they don't find her. And there's like, they start freaking out a little bit and start searching and like are searching through the woods till like two in the morning and then you know start to they think okay maybe she just went back to the city so they like send word to the city call someone there like did you see Anka there nothing and then they you know alert the authorities and there starts to sort of be like an alarm bell that like something's fucked up Yanka's gone missing and they send word out to Moscow, St. Petersburg, to her friends there. Basically, they're just, the family is trying to tell everyone that she knows that they can't find her just in case, like, she decided to run away somewhere. Um, but then on May 17th, her body's found in a river. It, like, not, I mean, it was kind of far from the dacha. Downstream. Um, yeah. Downstream. Like a fisherman multiple, finds it. Like, a lot of kilometers. Yeah, downstream. because it's been a really long time, like, uh, a week. Um, and she obviously unidentifiable because she's been in water for a week. Um, and they find her body, but she's recognized by her clothes. Yeah. So it's definitely her. Her death is like a, also a controversial death in that people don't know. There's different theories about how she actually died. You want to break those down? Yeah, sure. There's kind of like three main ones. The first is that death by suicide. The, the second is that it was an accident somehow, that she just, like, drowned by accident. That's the official one. That's, that's, that's the official one, Official yeah. cause of death. Um, and, and then the third is that, like, there was a traveling band of, like, homeless vagabond types who, like, killed her, like, hooligans. And that's something Not that, homeless, just, like, <laughs> hooligans. Some, like, violent gang kind of thing like, where someone... Yeah, I don't know, like... Yeah, who fucking cares? knows? That, that's what, like, Letov said. That's what he believed. Um, I'm not sure why he, he was incentivized to think that. But, yeah, as Lily says, the official is an accident. There's also, like, some conspiracy theories of, about it because when it comes to the murder part, because there are claims, although I don't think that they're actually confirmed, that there wasn't any water in her lungs, meaning, like, she, her body was thrown into the water after she died, and that she had, like, some sort of bump on the head. The, the bump could easily be from falling and hitting a rock or right. hitting rocks while you're floating for a week. Yeah. Not having much of, like, an intuitive understanding or, like, oh, this is somebody I really cared about and I have, like, a sense of her. Um, I, I feel like that she committed suicide. Right, based on not very much knowledge. I, I agree. I, I think the I th- other two theories don't really make sense to me because I don't think that you can, like, accidentally... F- I mean, you, you can, obviously, at night, like, trip and fall and hit your yeah. head, but it just seems, to me, seems, like, pretty unlikely. It I seems mean, very unlikely. Especially for a person who's clearly suffering from, like, yeah. serious depression. Yeah. The other sort of factor that makes that leans towards the suicide theory is that allegedly a bunch of, or a number of her close friends received a postcard on May 10th, I think, the day after. So she had sent it a few days before that said, from Yanka that said, like, I love you. I hope no, like, nothing bad happens or no misfortunes Mm -hmm. befall you, something like that, in a little less formal sounding. Yeah. And people kind of took that as maybe a, a suicide, suicide note. note. But uh, also, Letov claimed that he had a suicide note from her, but then he, like, reneged on that later. I don't know. Well, he's, you know, he's I don't not think a, he's a def- reliable witness. Not a dependable. 
Yeah, not a reliable narrator. Let us listen to a... After this message. After this message from our sponsors. First, first let's listen to a track from Anhedonia, the album Anhedonia. And the, this is the title track, Anhedonia. So Lily, do you want to talk about the funeral first, or do you want to talk about how, how she was? Let's get the funeral out of the way. All right. One of the things is that at the funeral, there are like a thousand people. There's a lot of people, and people come from different cities all over Russia. And her dad says this is sort of a moment where he realized that his daughter was a star, and that she wasn't just, you know, strumming her guitar in the apartment her stupid grungy friend um, no I think he was really supportive of her but I just yeah. mean like he realized that she was actually touched a lot of people which was um, a moment the other thing is like this Letov character said some questionable things at the funeral like he he was saying things like oh like we shouldn't be sad we shouldn't be sorrowful because Yanka's death is life confirming life confirming yeah. and like we should celebrate and there was a lot of like drinking I wouldn't necessarily say merrymaking but it because it's a lot of people musicians, music, people are playing yeah. music, drinking, etc. And, and you're right, you're right, like, saying something as life-confirming is, like, like is it, there is a way of, like, making that speech that it makes people feel better, but I think coming from Latov, it was, like, not, he was, like, too enthusiastic es- about her Especially death. because in the context that later, Latov said a very questionable, sort of fucked up thing about how, like, all these, like, martyrs of rock had died. I mean, Soy dies in 1990. Yanka dies in 91, and Vashlachov dies, um, Vashlachov died in 1987, and he, like, 88, and he, like, says something about, like, how they are, some kind of metaphor of them being, like, soldiers in, like, his war, or the war that he's also fighting, Uh. and that, you know, they died, but, like, because, like, people die at the time that they need to, like, he definitely had some kind of, like, philosophy about dying that I think for anyone who's in mourning is just, like, not helpful. Excuse me. <laughs> it's, it's like he's like, no, don't worry. It's good that they died early because then they didn't become lame when they're old. That's something like that, but but really like about his battle or yeah, something. No, no, just either. something gross. Yeah. So, and, and then the last little thing that he did that was kind of fucked up is the, the last fucked up thing he did. He's he's like drunk at this point. After the funeral, he goes to her house and her parents are there. He just goes into her room 
and like empties out all of her drawers into his backpack. So all of her notebooks, all of her stuff, he just takes it. Letters and they had written. Letters that, yeah, letters that, yeah. that which he has like, I guess, more rights to. But in any case, he's just like, it looks, it's just like fucked up image. And her dad like doesn't stop him because he feels scared basically of Letov when he's not sober. I mean, understandably, I think. Yeah, so he ends up having all of her, I think, I mean, the notebooks are like a really important part of that with all of her writing, etc. And um, he gets married twice after that before he dies in 2008. I think the second wife's the only one who actually officially marries, so she has rights to his estate. And she and the first wife both make an effort, I, I think, to give the writing and stuff back to Yanka's family so that they will have rights to it. And I'm not sure what's going on with the second wife, but I think she may be in the process of, of publishing those those texts. Although, a side note, uh, you go that might have already happened. What? And uh, his his wife, his second wife, actually met at Yonkers funeral. Yeah, I met at Yonkers funeral, but also Which his is first that? wife, yeah. and they knew from they were friends. They were right. friends. As I maybe you didn't say this on this go round of the recording, but yeah, a very incestuous group as you might imagine. Yeah, like like the guy who she almost married, who she saw the photo album of, ended up. Soon after they didn't get married, Yanka and him, he married Irina Litaeva, who's like the head oh, rock mama okay. lady. So yeah, everyone's just marrying each other. Yeah. Or, um, yeah. It's done with something. That, yeah, something I want to say about like her death in the broader like context of the of the rock movement is it's kind of conflated with another thing that was happening, which was like the fall of the Soviet Union. But her death is often marked as kind of the end of the Siberian punk scene. Um, a lot of a few of the bands like go on hiatus after her death. We also didn't mention that she was she was becoming well known during her life, but she really became much more famous after her death. Um, and, and the other thing, I mean, Lily may disagree with me on this, but it's an odd thing for a particular artistic movement that is formed in one political context and is focused on being um, like anti-establishment towards that particular type of context that government when that government like shifts in such a drastic way and the economy shifts in such a drastic way that is a like a challenging thing to be able to kind of um adapt to that yeah Yeah, and to to like fare that that political change especially when your art is very politically focused and i think that that fact combined with yanka's death really shifted the way in which the Leningrad rock scene, but also um, the Siberian punk scene kind of were operating. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I'm I, just like, um, what's the word when you're like theorizing? You're just like, well, that sounds nice, but... No, 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 I, want, I wanted to, I'm saying I want to like, whatever, elaborating on that a little bit. Okay. Um, I, yeah, the only point I want to make about that is that like, that the transfer from the Soviet era to the whatever post-Soviet era is not, you know, a clean transition or anything. And especially out in like the regions, as they're called, um, everything takes is sort of slower to happen. And, and I just, I think that like, you know, the sense of not knowing what the fuck is going on and like, sort of that like yeah intense uncertainty must yeah must must have had an effect but one of the things that we talked about before that I think is also important to note is that like I think you brought this up last time is that if the bands are you know very much by choice not official and underground during the Soviet era when the Soviet Union collapses all the structures and everything collapse they're no longer 
official or unofficial they don't right. have that like you know cash yeah but underground but, means less in a capitalist system where you especially just are in the beginning like, especially especially you mean especially it's more like a free-for-all like, it's more of a free-for-all yeah like nobody's monitoring you um if you wanted to make money off your music you probably could at that point especially if they were very popular but they had built an entire ethos on being not interested in making money right and like yeah and i i, I don't know it's too uh, yeah, basically, like, I feel like we can't really characterize it anymore without any more information. I mean, I don't feel like it's possible to characterize anything <laughs> generally, you well, know? Yeah, but, but it's just, like, fun like, think and it also sounds about, like, right, so th- And think about that? also, like, what's going on and, like, what's the nature of entertainment in the early post-Soviet years? Because entertainment is sort of a luxury, but then people are in this, like, state of of transition and, like, yeah. uh, also economic decline, at least as the approached the mid 90s and it's just a, I don't know I don't know I don't want to theorize but I but I also think I mean if you just look at like the kind of music they were making like I don't think that the Leningrad rock scene fared particularly well either it, it doesn't seem like it's much time and before they turn from being like cool hip underground like DIY types to kind of like basic bitch well, rock I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what like Aquarium was doing in the '90s. But I, you said as you said, some bands in Sevilla took breaks, etc. Yeah. Something like Soy and Kino were just Soy died in 1990, and then that band is continuing continues to be like a legend. It just sort of like froze in time. Right. Not froze, but like they had produced a lot of music. People still listen to that music. They're still extremely famous. They're right. just like right. legends. They never had a chance to kind of go age in that way that a lot of rock groups age i mean same with yanka in that sense and same with yanka let's move on from this fluff i want to translate a verse um and talk a little bit about the language in it the verse is from the song at balshova uma from the album so we listen to the song but there's also an album of that name and um it is an album with grobe recorded with Grobe. And the other thing to know is that this song, At Balshova Uma, which is translated as From a Great Mind, is also on the album Dumboy, which we've heard a few songs from if you're following our confusing <laughs> discography. Okay, so let's listen to that song. So the verse I want to translate 
is the second verse. And I'm just going to read it in Russian first. Vrasinje na vetru pa rose po utru, po rose po utru. At besplodnik ide do besplodnik kasti, at na kritik stalov do prabitik galov, at za kritik dvere do zaritik zvere. So I'll read this whole thing in English, my translation of it, which is very literal and doesn't preserve the rhyme scheme, so forgive me, Isaac. In, in the bedsheet on the wind, along the dew, along the morning, from fruitless ideas to bodiless guests, from covered tables to scored goals, from closed doors to buried beasts. So the first thing overall that I want to point out about the, stand, about the verse is that it doesn't have any verbs in it, and it's basically like a series of sort of positions. At least the first line is very much about like location in the bedsheet, on the wind, along the dew, along the morning. And the first line is the one that stands out the most from the other three, because the other three all use this construction from, to, from, to, from, to, which is kind of like an incantation in the song um, and also echoes the title from a great mind, what. And the first line is has some weird little turns of phrase I, want, I wanted to note, which is like the way on the wind is written. Um, it's the preposition on, but the ending is like what would be used for the preposition along, um, the ooh at the end. And then you have this phrase, the along the dew, along the morning, which is like, I'm just translating it that way, but I don't. It's more like clearly along the dew, which is like a physical movement, I guess, going along the dew. And then, <laughs> row it a lot. And then along the morning is written as one word, at least in this text, po utru, and the ooh. So it's the right form, and ooh at the end, but it's written as one word and it's also not really a term or it's not a way of saying in the morning or anything about the morning that you normally hear. So it has a weird vibe kind of. Also, it's like interesting that it's like all these sort of physical images and then like a similarly like as though you're walking along the morning. Okay, and then the rest of the incantation lines, the like from fruitless ideas to bodiless guests, um, you get like a lot of repeating in internal rhyming that's nice, like besplodnik and besplotnik, which almost sound the same. Which two words are those? That's fruitless and bodiless. Oh, okay. So you're comparing like from ideas to, to guests, which are people. And I mean, in general, like a to from construction is, it can, I guess, either be two things. It can be like a transition from one state to another state. Or it can be a listing, you know, and it's like, we have everything here from candles to apples. Um, so it's not necessarily tradition in that transition in that case, but more of a list. proliferation. Yeah, list. Last thing, um, the imagery of the last line, from closed doors to buried beasts, is clearly like a very dark image. This sort of old-fashioned tone of the word, or coloring of the word, shade of the word beasts. You know, it's hard to sort of say, like, what is going on here in the construction of it's, like, if it's the transition or the listing. But regardless, the sort of darkness of the content itself of the, of the image is maybe encouraged or increased by the phonetics of the line, which is this has a lot of repetitions of Z and V, which 
in my interpretation, creates a kind of like buzzing background sound on the line, like this like z sound that is also kind of like ominous or to me reads as like dark and I don't know. Devilish. Devilish. Beezlebub. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> Reminds me of a devil bee. Okay. Yeah, that's it. All right. Thank you. Lily. You're welcome. We don't want to just be like, oh, Yonko is this like depressive, um, sad, punky person who just like kills herself at the end of her life. Like, <laughs> fucked up. I know. And we, you know. we actually have got, yeah, like you said, we got kind of, we made this image of this sort of introvert person who's also like kind of abused by their boyfriend. And yeah. There's a lot of but <laughs> really when, when people, when people talk about Yanka, at least um, in the, the sort of the documentaries and interviews that have been done years later, so in the 2000s, people from that scene, when they talk about meeting her, knowing her, they talk about a joyful person. Mm-hmm. And they use like a lot of these the same language so like she was just she bounded up to me this like this happy girl they call her like a girl a lot like divchonka like a little girl okay or like just a girl and i mean she was young when a lot of them met her and they also a lot of people focus on her um physical image she had red hair and like this redhead you know like this like laughing loving redhead yeah and she also, we didn't talk about her, like, outfits, but she her style was not, like, you know, she wasn't wearing, like, all black or something like that. I think she had sort of a, like, boysy sort Big of... Big oversized, oversized coats, yeah. pants. Um, yeah, one, Baggy, one guy yeah. Did, one guy from the from another band in this punk scene described her as, like, a woman in man's pants. We, we also were saying the last time we recorded this that... When you imagine the scene, when you see photos from from the late eighties of the scene, they they look kind of like grungy early two thousand hipster people, like not clean hipsters, but they don't look. They're not wearing piercings. They're no. not. They don't have like mohawks. They yeah. don't look like. And and in these documentaries, they talk about how like yeah, they saw images of um, like American and British punks who did have this like kind of intense uh, visual presence, but like. Uh, in Siberia they just weren't doing that and they didn't actually see like quote-unquote real punks until they went to the Baltics and saw like Estonian punks who were like really into that sort of thing that isn't to say that they weren't taking from from like uh, more western bands for example when the Siberian punk scene first started out like some of the bands were lifting chord progressions and those sorts of things directly from bands like the Sex Pistols so there definitely was that influence there just maybe not in the visual because for that particular setting it just didn't make sense yeah and I think the, I think the most interesting, at least what we find to be the most interesting thing about uh, Yanka is that apparently she would use the male form to talk about herself. Oh yeah, right. So, Meaning that she yeah. Explain when, what this means. Yeah, in because Russian. when when you hear that, you you probably are like, wait, how did she refer to herself as? he like using a male pronoun because that would mean she was talking about herself in the third person but she wasn't like a full-on freak so she did (laughs) she didn't refer to herself in the third person but what we were reading was that she referred herself in the male and what that means in russian how that works is like um in russian in the in the past tense and for adjectives there are gendered endings so when anytime she was saying that she did something in the past she or he, I don't know how she wanted to be referred to by her friends, but what she referred to herself is that she would use a male ending. Okay, so give an example. Like, okay. say I went to a store as a man and I went to a store okay, as a woman. Okay, so if I said I went to the store, I would say as a female, 
ending, I would say ya hadila v magazine, hadila. The A at the end of the verb. And if I was a man, I would say, Yahadil magazine. Mm. Hadil, Hadila. So, yeah, you can sort of like encode gender, and gender is encoded in Russian grammar. But yeah, I mean, and then the way that people talk about her is interesting. Like, sunshine. She was obviously very loved. Yeah, sunshiny or like. Oh, the comrade thing. Sorry. Oh, you... yeah, like what, comrade, what? sister, brother. People were saying, yeah, people were saying, like, I, like, describing these men. It's all men being interviewed because yeah. mostly it's a male dominated scene, which we didn't mention, but, but obviously. We had been sort of naming all these men. Yeah, like some people were referring to, they were saying, like, you know, when I met her, she was just this, like, this really joyful being who loved to laugh and, like, was really kind and, like, that just sort of like she makes you feel comfortable right away which reminds me of like would you like me to draw you a fox comment and then also that some men describe like they're like you know it's very usually between men and women there are like sexual feelings or some kind of sexual tension but with her nothing but basically (laughs) they were just like you know i felt she was my sister i felt she was like really like a true comrade which is funny to use that like soviet language this true sort of asexual like person to person yeah yeah Yeah. there was one one guy i think maybe from um survival instruction who was like yeah the first time i met her it was like she was like this big person and she's not she's not tall as we looked up she's not tall they're all not tall they're all not tall they're all short people but she does have like a bigness about her she's not fat but she's like she's she's wearing these big oversized clothes her head is big you're the men she's she's not like yeah she's not like a twig she like looks like a solid like hearty person and he was like you know the, she was this like kind of big person but not unsexy <laughs> not unsexy but i would have still fucked her yeah but she does it this is an interesting thing like if you look at pictures of her there are none in color which is kind of an odd thing so there's a lot of there's pictures a, of her there's a black screenshot there's a, of a video of, in, of color. Her in color yeah so i didn't even realize her hair was red until lily mentioned it because people, people had said it, it. Yeah. yeah and she also very much has a look um, like her face and the way her hair is because it's so long and like kind of has the middle part going on she does have that image of like a kind of 60s Joan Baez yes. Janis Joplin type looking person um, Joni Mitchell Joan I mean Mitchell. she yeah she has those like she has straight across, straight across bangs that kind of like yeah fall a little bit to yeah. the side and like that sort of mullety cut that's a little bit it's not mullet but it's like it's how do you explain that? It frames it's long hair, but yeah. it frames the face in a particular way from the bangs. Yeah, it's not it's a like mold, kind but of seventies. Yeah, it is. It's very And yeah. the guys have similar haircuts. Yeah. I mean Letov wears his hair really swoopy across, but like yeah. like And then balded later. They, they yeah, they that's I guess they're either like they either look like grungy hipsters from from more kind of contemporary like Seattle grunge types or yeah or even like 70s types so they're like yeah. their look is is a mix of stuff from different eras okay so let, let's let yanka play us out and this song is from her original album um Nipolosina. her first album you mean yeah her origi- the original album Pachel maya svetla 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 right which is translates to my sorrow is bright. Сайт 
close out shall we that okay. is the episode folks thanks as for always listening. thanks for listening so lily and i are in st petersburg right now um we're going to be doing some good things while we're here we've been we, we've been recording on the streets we're going down to moscow this is very fun oh i need to respond to that email actually we're going down to moscow to is it a certain special character that i'm not going to tell you about? oh we're not going to tell them no, uh, it's a surprise. All right, it's a surprise. We're, we're going to see, visit a lady in the woods. We're going to visit a lady in the woods. It's true. And these things, no doubt, cost us money. So if you'd like to support us in going to see ladies in the woods for for Making story stories. purposes, yeah, um, please head over to patreon.com slash she's in Russia. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash mm-hmm. she's in Russia. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and... We're, our first goal is $200 a month, and we're, we're slowly bopping our way there. Big thanks this week to, I don't know, I can't remember if I thank them. I think Benita, I think I've thanked Dimitri. We have a new patron this week. Did we week. thank Benita? Well, thank you, Benita, if we thank did not you. thank you. Ben. Um, and thank you to our newest patron, Tom. And you can also thanks, become Tom. our newest patron. And get a shout out. Place. Yeah, <laughs> and we'll send you stickers and magnets and everything. So uh, we we really do appreciate it. When we get that email that we have a new patron, it warms our heart. It warms our heart a lot yeah. and our, our commun- pockets. Our <laughs> shared heart in our pockets, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, we'll, we yeah. really appreciate it. And as you said, the the little bonus gifts are um, on, will be zooming on their way to you. It's true. Um, and we are, we're also in the process of making a little behind-the-scenes video while I'm here in St. Petersburg. So you're going to get, if you're a patron... Only patrons only get access patrons. to it. Yeah. Get that exclusive, <laughs> exclusive, exclusive access. It's the first time we've made a video, so I'm not promising that it's good, but it it's will It's going to be good because it's just us in St. Petersburg, and it's, that's a good uh, you thing. You love that. You yeah. love us. You love, love St. Petersburg. Yeah, and maybe even on the train to Moscow, too. Um, okay, so yes, go over to Patreon. And then... All, as always, follow us on Twitter and Telegram at Cheese in Russia. If you have a question about Russia, give us a call at plus one, three, four, seven, two, nine, two, seven, one, two, six. We Whoa, just, that was really fast. Uh, nobody ever calls and we've really, kind of forgotten I about it. But don't, we, I feel like people don't get why they need to call. You can ask a question. You can make a comment. You yeah. can suggest a topic. Do whatever you want. It's your way of getting direct access to us. Like, for example, a lot of you will respond to our episodes on Twitter and that's great. But we... If you want to hear your voice on this yeah. very famous and a wonderful podcast, that's why we have a voice mailbox so that we can play your question. We're an audio comment. show. Jesus Christ. Okay. Yes. I'm so do read that. your tweet. <laughs> um, last thing is subscribe to our monthly image based newsletter at cheeseinrussia.com, and we will see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Seinfeld, while he was doing Seinfeld, did we talk about this? I don't know. What he, you're about to say. He was dating a high schooler publicly. Like, he would bring her to events. How old was she? She was 17 when How old was he? Dating. Late 30s. Whoa. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. And they dated for, like, four years. Why? She went away to college, and he would, like, go visit her and stuff.
Oh, that's not good. No. <laughs> that's not good and at every, all. And every, oh, my. That's oh, not good at all. I must clutch my pearls. <laughs> yeah. Ew. And everyone was like, no. No. Everybody was like, it's the 80s, like I 90s. Saw, I saw a cover of People and it was like, how Seinfeld found love or something like that. That it's a picture of him and his like teenage girl. <laughs> that's statutory rape in some, in some states. Not really, though. 17 is usually a good cutoff. 